We are so glad that you joined us today. God wants to do so much in you and through you, and we would love to hear about it. Would you send us an email at shannon at hectorfirst.com to tell us your story? You can also go online and give to this ministry by going to hectorfirst.com and clicking the Give tab. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy the message. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Aren't you thankful we have a Father in heaven who will see us through the fire, see us through the trials, see us through the tribulations, see us through the troubles that we may encounter on a day-to-day basis, but we serve a God that's through the fire, through the weaknesses, through the trials, through the troubles, he's going to see us through. Amen? Amen. When I jumped on that when she sent me that, that she could do that. I, I had already been planning and praying on this message for today, the day after Christmas, the Sunday before the New Year's, and the title was Through the Fire, Through the Fire. We're going to be looking in Daniel chapter 1 through chapter 3. I'm not going to take a specific text this morning, but if you know the first three chapters of the book of Daniel, then you'll know some of the stories, and if not all the stories that we're going to talk about. I know that that we have enjoyed Christmas time, we've enjoyed being with families, and it's kind of gotten our minds off of things that are going on maybe around our homes or around the world. But one thing that I want you, if I was to say anything before we begin today, I I would say this, that if Satan can persuade you to give in, then he can neutralize or he can pause or he can can set you up and the effect and, and, and get rid of the effectiveness that you have for God. If he can, if he can persuade you to give up if the enemy can persuade you to give in to things around you then he knows that he can he can neutralize your effectiveness as a christian before we get even even close or it's pretty close now but before we get into the new year new year new the new year new you that god's going to be taking us through over the next few months God kept bringing this passage up in my spirit. Have you ever felt like you have been backed into a corner? Have you ever felt like you've, you've, you're even living in a different world? In, in 2021, in 2021, and the things that, you, that, we've, that we've been through, if we back up all the way to 2020 and the things that we have been through and lived through, have you felt like you're living in a different world? Are you with me? Okay, I'm looking for some of this. If you'll help me out, we'll get, we'll, we're going to get done a whole lot earlier. It's 1045, and I'm preaching. But if we have a feeling that we're living in a different world, feeling like we've been, that, that, that we've been taking from the, the life that we felt that was familiar, normal, and we've been transplanted into a, into a new place that everything's unfamiliar. Everything is different. 
We, we feel like sometimes that we've been transplanted. We've been taken from something that was familiar to us, and now we're living in an unfamiliar world. I, I, I read some, somebody had posted that 20, you know, we, we were ending 2021, and we're, we're getting ready to go into 2022, but somebody wrote that it's, is it 2020, 2020, and then with a T-O-O. They're already putting things in, their, in, in our mind, and if we're not careful, we'll allow things or people or media to influence us and to change our mindset or to even begin to change the way we process things, that we stay stuck in the rut that we're in or stay stuck in the unfamiliar place. But I don't believe one bit that that's from God. I don't believe that, 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 that we are intended to live or to continue to live in the state of fear or in the state of confusion or in the state of, of just sin. I don't know any other word. A state of sin or a state of, of confusion or a state of, of, of the enemy. Because he wants nothing more than to, to distract us. Because he knows that if he can persuade us to stay there, then we will choose to live there. The first three chapters of the book of Daniel, it's a very personal story of, of these four guys. It, it's personal. It gives details of, of the way they're going to live. It, it's filled with examples that gives you and I Examples of basic principles for living for God in an unfamiliar place. We've got, we've got Daniel, we've got Hananiah, we've got Mishael, and we've got Azariah. These guys, they're, they're, they're going to be, be also known as Belshazzar and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. These, these four gentlemen, have, are, are, their, their lives are detailed in the first three chapters of Daniel, and it gives us very detailed instructions on how to live a godly life in an unfamiliar place. How many of you know that living in the unfamiliar that we are right now, now it's even more important for us to live a godly life? We've got to live a godly life in front of those that are around us, especially when the enemy, Satan, the devil, however you want to label him, our adversary, as the song that Pastor Katie Joe sang, he wants you to give up. He wants you to give in to the temptations, to the things that are happening around you. He wants to discourage. He wants to disrupt. He wants to destroy everything that you have believed in. Everything that you have set your life upon, the foundation that you have established your walk or your relationship with God, Satan, the adversary, wants to destroy all of that with something new. And how many of you know that it's very easy sometimes to fall into that new stuff? When the phones come out, everybody wants a new phone. 
New watches come out. You want to you want the new watch. You want the new clothes. You want the new 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 this, new that. All these things we it's it's the persuasion of the world or the persuasion of 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 friends. It's the persuasion of society that tries to get you to follow suit. If these three chapters give us details on how to live a godly life in an unfamiliar world, you may say, Pastor Shannon, I, I know the world that I'm living in. Do you? Do we understand truly the, the world that we're living in? Because sometimes we can get caught up in the things that, that has always been and we become blinded of what's actually going on. It's a thin line. It's a, it's a, it's a, there's a lot of gray in there. It, we, you know, we are, we are living in the world, but we are commanded not to be of the world, right? I, I, are you with me? I know there's not many of us here this morning, so y'all going to have to get extra loud, okay? Daniel and his three friends, Michelle, or Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah, they were torn from the comforts, the shelters of their own homes, and they were thrown into an unfamiliar place in a foreign land. Sometimes we get in that place. We feel like we are living in a foreign world. You may have lived in Hector your whole life. You may have lived in Arkansas your whole life. You may have lived in the United States or in the South your entire life. But there are some of us that have lived outside of this, not that there's anything wrong with living in it, but living outside, there's, there's a time where there is a lot of unknown. There's, there's, there's the unknown. I remember going to Costa Rica when we left. We had to go to Costa Rica and live there for a year to learn Spanish. That's all. We, when we got there, we didn't know anything. They picked us up from the airport. They drove us to our apartment. It was like midnight that night. We had 20 bags, 20 suitcases, luggage. We stacked it all inside, and, and then they said, okay, we'll see you in the morning at 7 o'clock. And we had never, our kids had never been out of the United States of America. We moved into this apartment at midnight trying to find change of clothes, to take a shower, to brush your teeth, you know, all that stuff. And then they're going to be back at 7 the next morning to take us, do everything that we had to do. I mean, it was just like out of the frying pan, into the fire. On the way home that afternoon, they said, okay, the grocery store's about a block down, two blocks down this road, Burger King's across the street, we'll see you later. It was a sink or swim type of situation. Like I said, we didn't know, and the money exchange wasn't even the same. You go into Burger King, and it says a Big Mac, or not Big Mac, what are they, a Whopper. There's a Whopper on the menu, and it's got the price over there, and I'm, I, I don't know exactly how much it was, but it, it would be something like $357.75. And you're thinking, oh, my gosh. How in the world am I going to be able to afford eating at Burger King? And you just, you, you, they give you this money, and it looks like Monopoly money. It's not even real. It don't, it's not real money. They got coins for 
I don't remember. It seemed like up to $5, a $5 bill, there was a coin for it. And you just, for a long time, you, if you was riding the bus or you was taking a taxi, I would just open my wallet, take out all this money, and say, take what you need. Because I had no idea. And it took so long for us to get used to living in an unfamiliar world. I know that's the extreme, but when you live in a place that, that you feel like this is not normal, it brings on all kinds of emotions, all kinds of feelings, all kinds of things that you have never possibly even dealt with. And it's a very vulnerable time for you because those people could have taken, taken me for everything that I had on me. I was making myself vulnerable. I was, give, I was basically giving them all of my money. If we're in those unfamiliar places and you think that, that everything is, is, is going to be okay, well, this is what they're doing, I'll just follow them. I'll just do what they do, I'll be okay. Not long after getting to Costa Rica, I was watching, we had to learn the bus route to take our kids to school or to even go to our kids' schools on the other side of San Jose, Costa Rica, which is the capital city of this country, big, big city. You had to learn the bus systems. There were certain buses that ran north to south, certain buses that ran east to west, and there were certain buses that went in between. Well, I got to watching. We were trying to explore the town. I knew that if we got on this bus right in front of this mall, it would take us downtown to the old part of town where the, where the market was, where you could buy fresh coffee, where you could enjoy all the things of culture right there. And when we got ready to come back home, that same bus would turn around and come right back on the other side of the street. And I thought, well, we've never been to the other end. This, this It's the same bus route. Same buses, same names on the buses. I told Susan, we, it was Susan and I and the kids and another missionary lady that was with us. So I said, hey, let's just, instead of getting off, we were going, I think we were going to the mall to eat lunch or something. And, and I said, well, let's, just, let's not get off on this side of the street. Let's wait until the bus goes downtown, the other side of town, turns around and comes back, and it'll drop us off right where we want to get off. I was just following. I knew what the buses were doing up to that point. I had no idea what they were doing on the other end of town. So I convinced everybody that we were going to stay on the bus and go to the other end of town. We'll just make the circle, come back, and we'll get off. We're riding the bus, and we're riding the bus, and we're riding the bus, and it went on and on and on, had no idea. We get to this when we get to the end of town, the bus driver opens the bus and says, everybody, you need to get off. Well, I didn't understand what he was saying. Everybody on the bus got up and got off. And here's the five of us. We're sitting there, and he's looking in his mirror at us, and he says, you know, he makes the motions, get off the bus. It was the end of the, I didn't know that that was the end of the, it was the end of the bus route. I didn't know where, what was happening. I just assumed this is where we get in trouble. 
We assume that everything's going to be okay if we just follow the crowd. If I will do what they do, then everything's going to be okay. Well, we were in a place in, in the city, in the outskirts, in a, in a neighborhood, and, and we were walking, wandering down the street. I mean, here, five gringos just, I mean, we, we didn't know what, I mean, we hadn't been in country very long at all. And we get, we're, you know, we're just following some people down the street, and they're one by one, they're going in their houses, and eventually we get to this one, and somebody goes in, and then all of a sudden, here comes this young lady out the door, and she says, in English, what are y'all doing here? Well, we're, we rode the bus, and we were going to go back to town, but it kicked us all off. Well, yeah, this is the end of the bus route. And we were 20 minutes out of town. They said, this is not a very safe place for you to be in. Would you like for me to call a taxi? Because we didn't have cell phones, and if we had a cell phone, we didn't speak Spanish enough to even call a taxi and get them to come out because we didn't know where we were. She called the taxi. They came, and guys, cost us 20 bucks in a taxi just to get back into town. There are consequences to the decisions that you make. I was scared. We were scared. I was trying not to be scared because my kids were there. My wife was there. My kids were little. And I'm, 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 I'm trying to hold it together. I oh, will be fine, didn't I? All right, it'll be okay. We're fine. We're fine. We still talk about that today with the other lady that was with us and our kids. And it's funny now, but then it wasn't so funny. All because I got myself in that situation, and it wasn't just me. It was the people that were following me. See where I'm going. When we're talking about through the fire, when we're talking about the situations in our own life and, and how people will, in an unfamiliar place, you think that you're doing the right thing, but in reality, you are doing the wrong thing. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They were taken from what was familiar and placed in the unfamiliar. They were being pressured. They were being forced, if you will, to compromise and to conform to their new way of life. But they refused to let the world pour them into its mold. You have to determine right now that you are, if you are a Christian, if you are a believer, if you are somebody that is in love with God, you're going to have to refuse to allow the world to pour you into its mold. Can't let it happen. In, the, in his brilliant book, The Anointing, R.T. Kendall, he, he wrote this, and it, it, I want you to listen to this because it just blew my mind. He talks about the danger of becoming what he calls yesterday's man. People whom had a tremendous anointing on their lives yesterday can live off the momentum of that anointing for a while. 
Some people even think that the anointing is still on them, but it's actually the momentum of yesterday's anointing. He goes on to write, he says, sometimes the greatest opposition of what God wants to do next comes from those who are on the cutting edge of what God did last. We have to have God's anointing today more than we did yesterday. In the world that we live in, it is necessary for that to happen. And we will need tomorrow, we will need that anointing tomorrow more than we did today's anointing. Without it, and I want you to get this, without it, I will, you will be below average. Nobody wants to be below average. In in whatever you do in life, nobody wants to be subpar. Nobody wants to be just mediocre. Everybody needs to be either even keel, even playing ground, or you need to be better than you were yesterday. Because without today's anointing, if we're just living off of yesterday's experience, yesterday's anointing, we will be below average, and guess what? We will eventually become yesterday's man. I don't want to be what I was yesterday. You don't want to be what you was yesterday. You don't need what you had yesterday. You need today what God has for you today. Tomorrow, you're not going to need today's anointing. You're going to need tomorrow's anointing. If we're going to face, if we're going to go through the fire that the world is built around us, then we're going to have to live off today's anointing whatever day we are in. Yesterday's not good enough. That's gone. That's gone. Today, we have to have today's anointing. Because you're going to face You're going to face the pressure. You're going to face the change that's going to happen in your life. You can look at the change in the the way that church has changed. Church is different now. It's different, and it's nothing that we have done. It's just we have had to change because the world has changed. The Word hasn't changed. God hasn't changed. Jesus hasn't changed. The Holy Spirit hasn't changed, but we change so we can reach those that are not in the house today. You say, what does that mean? The world's changing. We don't have to compromise. We don't have to conform to the world, but mm, we have to change some things in order to get people to fall in love with Jesus. If I'm not willing to change my, my, I can't live off of yesterday. I got to live for today's anointing. Are you with me? Does that make sense? You need, we need, we have to have today's anointing for today's generation. For those that are lost and without God, these three things that we're going to talk about some of the examples that you are going to have to lean into and lean on in order to achieve, in order to accomplish what God has designed for you. When we're facing changes, certain situations, even pertaining to family, work, school, or life in general, 
We can, we, we, can, we can look at these three things that these, that these guys, these four men, that they lived out. And number one, number one, these things that these guys experienced, you're going to experience. Number one, your walk will be challenged. Your walk with God is going to be challenged. In Daniel chapter one, in, in verse five, if you're, if you're there, go ahead and turn with me. In Daniel chapter 1, verse 5, like I said, we're not going to take any one piece of these three chapters. We're going to, not going to read them all. We're just going to jump through all three of them. But in Daniel chapter 1, verse 5, it says, The king assigned them a daily portion of food that the king ate. And of the wine that he drank, they were to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. They were... They were put into a situation where they were almost, well, they were commanded to eat the king's meat, to eat the king's meal. This is what you're going to eat. This is how you're going to live. We're going to educate you. We're going to brainwash you. We're going to fill you with everything that the king or the world wants you to know. Where your walk is going to be challenged is from the very beginning. It's at the very beginning of your life. You say, Pastor, well, I'm already in my 40s. I'm already in my 20s. I'm already in my 50s. I'm already, I'm already, I've, I've lived the majority of my life. It's never too late to have a fresh start. If Daniel had, and, and these three, his three friends, if they had not taken a stand at the beginning of the change, at the beginning of the unfamiliar, if you go on in, in, in chapter 1, if you go down to verse 8, I love the first part of that, that, that verse. It says, but Daniel resolved. But Daniel made a stand. But Daniel made a commitment that he would not defile himself with the king's food. He took a stand. They're not going to make me. They're not going to enforce upon me. I'm going to make a stand. My walk is being tested. The way I live is being tested right now. You see, the way the world acts, the way the world reacts to situations, the world expects you to do the same. The world expects you to follow suit. If you want, if, if the world, and, and I, I had some conversations over the holidays, if, you know, people want to talk politics, people want to talk about this, want to talk about that, I get it. It's, it's part of our world. And where I choose to stand is going, you see, you remember the story of, of me and my family? They were choosing to follow me. They were following me because I was leading them. When I was leading them into danger, I was leading them into an unfamiliar place. And if I would have reacted, if I would have been scared, if I would have been, you know, frantically emotional and, and oh, I don't know what we're going to do, we're going to die. If I would have acted that way, how would have my family have been? Daniel, he said, it says that he resolved that he was going to make a stand because of his walk. How you stand right now determines those that are around you and how they follow you. Daniel took a stand. 
You see, the world, they think that they can get, it, it thinks that the enemy, the, the Satan, he thinks that if he can get you unfocused and concentrated on everything that's going on around you, then he's got you. He's got it all figured out. Fear is there. You're going to react. You're going to act the same way everybody else in the world is going to act. God's called us to be different. To set us, He set us apart. You're different because of the God that lives in you, the Christ that lives within you. The enemy expects you to do the same as everybody else. Number two, so your, wit- your walk will be challenged. Number two is your witness will be challenged. In Daniel chapter 2, we know the story, Daniel, King, King Nebuchadnezzar, he, he had a dream, and he wanted his dream to be interpreted. So he, he called, I'm, I'm giving you the, the, the Shannon Pruitt version, okay? I'm throwing it all in. I'm just going to dump it on you. You can go back and read it later. But he had this dream, and he wanted, it, it bothered him. It, it weighed heavy on him, and he wanted that his dream interpreted. He called all of his wise people, these, these men that he's been educating all this time, he called them together to give him his interpretation. And they all wanted the dream. Give us the dream and we'll interpret it for you. Give us what you have experienced and we'll tell you what it means. Well, King Nebuchadnezzar, he didn't want that. If you're wise, if you are smart, if you are who you who I believe you are to be, then you'll know the interpretation. You'll know the meaning of my dream without me even giving it to you. Well, they couldn't do it. They couldn't fulfill the king's task. So he was so mad, so frustrated, that he, he ordered them all to be executed. They sent out, sent out his military guys to go out and to kill them all, gather them and, and to kill them all. And, and, and Daniel said, hang on, wait a minute. Wait a minute, give me a chance. You didn't ask me. You didn't give me an opportunity to fulfill the king's request. Daniel, see, your witness is going to be challenged because in verse in chapter 12, chapter 2, verses 12 through 16. It says this, because of the king, because of this king, because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon to be destroyed so that this decree went out and the wise men who were about to be killed and they sought out Daniel and his companions to kill him, kill them. And then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. And he declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is this decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made a matter known unto Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation of the king. Daniel was a part of these wise men. He was included in this group by association. Are you following me? You're in the world, but you're not of the world. 
Daniel's in this group, him and, and his friends. They're in this group, but only by association. You're living in this world by association. You're not of the world, but you're living in the world by association. You're expected to follow suit. Daniel speaks up because he has God on, him, on his side. You have God on your side. And we know the story and how it goes. Daniel interprets the dream. God gave him favor. If you seek or if you desire the favor of God, then guess what? You've got to be a son or a woman, a child of God. You can't be in the world and of the world and expect to be in God's favor at the same time. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. You have to be of God in order to be in the favor of God. God gave Daniel favor. We know what happened. They were all given authority over the Babylonian kingdom. They were, they were sent to certain places, and they were given some authority in certain areas. But it wasn't until their witness was challenged. Your witness is going to be challenged. The way that you live, the way that you act and react in the world that we live in is going to be challenged. How people look at you, do they know that you're a believer? Do they know that you're a Christian? Are you in the world and not of it, or are you in the world and of the world? Does your coworkers know? Does your family know? All of these things, they're important, yes? They're important. Number three, we've talked about your walk will be challenged, your witness is going to be challenged. Number three, and the last one is your worship is going to be challenged. Your worship. In Daniel chapter 3, it starts right off from the beginning. It says King Nebuchadnezzar made a golden image. And he commanded everybody to bow down at his image. Later on, as we get into the, into the Scripture, into the story, it says that uh, it was made known to the king that Shadrach, their names had been changed. We're going to get to something very interesting about that in just a minute. But it says that, that their names, it was Hananiah, Mishael, and I don't know, Azariah, those are the hard ones. We all are very familiar with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We can do that like that, right? They're, they're pagan names. They're, they're enemy-given names. They're new identity names. And it's hard to remember they're God-given names. We're going to get to that in a minute. But in Daniel chapter 3, these three guys, it was made known to the king that they were not bowing down and worshiping this image. They wasn't. We know the story, and we're going we're gonna to read some of it. If you go to chapter 3, now I'm getting ready to close. Yes, I am. Chapter 3, verse 17, it says, If this be so, our God who we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that has been set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar 
uh, was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against, the Sha- against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he ordered the fiery furnace to be heated up seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered them ordered some of his mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning furnace. And then there, then these men were bound, then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and were thrown into the fiery furnace. Because of the king's order was so, because the king's order was so urgent, the furnace overheated and the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning furnace. Verse 24, the king was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared on this on, to his counselors, did we not just cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered, yes, O true, O king. And he answered, but I see a fourth man in the fire. I see somebody else in the fire. There's somebody, did did somebody else fall in? Did did somebody else jump in? No, everybody else that wasn't where they needed to be in their relationship with God, they are dead. The three Hebrews fell into the fire and they're walking around. It goes on, he says, "I I see these four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the Son of God. Verse 26, then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning furnace, and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. So they got out of the fire, and the satraps and the perfects and the governors and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power, had had not any power on the bodies of these men. The hairs on the hair were not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire came upon them. That's a miracle within miracles. You burn leaves in your yard, you're going to smell like smoke for days. It's going to be in your nose. It's going to be in your hair. It's going to be hard to get out. Nebuchadnezzar, he answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered them, delivered them, delivered them. I don't think y'all are getting that. He delivered them from the fire, through the fire. You're going to face things, it's inevitable. It's going to happen. We're going to face things that are going to be hard, that are going to be difficult to handle, but how we stand, how we walk, how we witness, how we worship, these three guys made a decision. With the, you know, you could even say, well, Daniel, Daniel's the, the leader of this gang. Daniel's not even thrown into the fire. These three guys who had been a part of Daniel's ministry, they have, they have experienced it. They have seen it. They have seen him walk when it's been challenged. They have, seen him, they have seen him witness when it's been challenged. They have seen him worship when worship was challenged. They said to the king, 
no matter what you do, no matter what you want to make us do, we will not bow to your God. Thinking that I've got him now. The enemy thinks, you know, you, we can give him all kinds of credit. I, I, I know that the devil, he has, he has power and don't think he don't. But guess what? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. There's not a devil in hell that can defeat you. There's not. And when we make a determination within ourselves that we are not going to bow down to anything, you, say, you might say, Pastor, I don't worship any other gods. I'm, I'm going to say some things right here that you're probably not going to like. There are things that we worship in our own lives, and it's not God. We put sports, and there's nothing wrong with any of these. There's not. But when we determine that we're going to do this instead of a godly thing, we're going to do this instead of go to church, we're going to do this instead of worship, and that's putting that before God. It could be sports. It could be hunting. Don't step on that one. I like, I like sports, and I like hunting. It could be a phone. It could be a computer. It could be a, a PlayStation. It could be an Xbox. It can be a, whatever is out there now. It can be anything. If it takes time away from God, if it takes time away from worshiping Him, then that is a God. I told you you wasn't going to like that. But I've made a determination that starting today and the rest of my ministry, I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. I'm not going to back off of anything. I'm going to lay it out where the rubber meets the road because we are running out of time. And if, if it's my responsibility to make sure you understand, if you put anything before God, you are not going to heaven, then that's on me. You will not walk out of here without being made aware of every situation. You see, God will never force you to do anything, but Satan, on the other hand, will try to force you to do everything. God's not going to make you lift your hands. God's not going to make you come to church. Satan, on the other hand, is going to put something very attractive in front of you to keep you from coming to church. He's going to put something so nice. Sin is sweet. Sin is nice. Sin is pretty. Sin feels good. But tomorrow, tomorrow it won't feel so good. That hangover will be there. That guilty feeling will be there. That ashamed, deep down, sick feeling that you have, it's going to be there because why? Because you know you messed up. All because we let our guard down and allow the enemy to force us into something that we know deep down not right. If Satan can persuade you to give in, in on any of these three things that we talked about, your, your worship, your walk, your, your witness, or your worship, then he knows he's got you. And I'm getting ready to close. I said that already, didn't I? The first move of the enemy 
for Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The first move that the enemy did was he changed their name. He changed their identity. He thought, if I can change their identity, if I can change their names, because their names had meaning. Hananiah means grace, mercy, gift from God. Mishael means who is like God. Azariah means helped by God. All these things, he knew what they had, what was labeled upon them. He knew that if he could change their identity, then he had them. If we choose to allow the world to relabel us, to change us, then he knows he's got us. Their new names, their pagan names that, that Babylon would give their captives it was always usually associated with some of their heathen deity. It was, the deliberate, it was a deliberate attempt to, to get them to abandon their faith and adopt their new place, the religion of the land that they were living in now. They renamed them. Shadrach is taken from the Babylonian god of the moon, Aku. The name Meshach uh, is also associated with the same Abednego, his name was from uh, the link of Nebo, the Babylonian god of wisdom. Satan thought, and this is his thought today, he thought if I can get them to rely on the nature of their human ability, this is where we have to be careful. He thinks that he can rely on us to forget. Who for, who's, who's a forgetful person? I am. I have to write things down or I'll forget. Satan wants to rely on your human nature of forgetfulness. That you'll forget where you came from over time. That you'll forget who you were, what you were meant to be. What God set you in motion for, he thought, I can change their label, I can change their name, I can change their identity, and then I've got them. Have you ever heard of the, 29, the 2190 rule? It, it, it's, it's you commit to a personal or a professional goal for 21 days straight. After three weeks, the pursuit of that goal should have become a habit. If you continue to do that after the 21 days for another 90 days, it has been found that if you keep this up for that period of time, then after the 21 and the 90 days, then it is a permanent lifestyle change. It's bad. It's that, that we're that predictable that they can figure out if you begin to, if you want something different, then if you'll commit to 21 days, and then after that, you do it 90 more days, then it is, they have permanently altered who you are. You see, the enemy wants you to do that. When you stop reading your Bible one day, two days, three days, 21 days, and if you, it's pretty easy to stop, right? You find things to fill that time. If it's the same that goes to prayer. 
And before long, before you know it, you're not reading, you're not praying, you don't know what God has for you, but yet you're still coming to church because that's just what we do. But you're not close to God. You don't know the voice of God. And when that fire comes, he's not going to be there when you go through the midst of it. That's good preaching. I don't care what you're doing. The truth. If the world has it pinned down that if we can do this, it will have permanently altered our lifestyle. Don't you think the enemy knows that too? He knows. You sleep in, man, I forgot to pray. I forgot to read my Bible. I forgot to pray. I didn't go to church this Sunday. It gets easier and easier and easier to stay home. I know, and we have made it easy. We have. Would you stand with me all over this place? I close with this. If Satan can change the way you think, he's got you. If Satan can change who you are, he's got you. He's got you. If we can look at these three guys, these four guys, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Nazariah, if we can look at these four guys and we can take everything from, this is just the first three chapters. There are life examples in an unfamiliar world on how to live a godly life. And I think now we better be paying attention because the world wants to relabel you. The world wants to change who you are. If we go back all the way to Genesis, where sin began, you don't think it's possible that there's change, that it can happen? Convinced Eve. Convinced Adam and Eve, the fall of man, it's there in the very beginning. If it's there, you better be sure that and know that it's here as well, and it's even stronger. When the fire is hot, the, the adversary, the enemy of your soul wants you to throw in the towel and just submit to him. And it's going to be easy because everybody else is doing it. I'm not, talk, I'm not talking about politics. I'm not talking about things that are happening outside of the church. I'm talking about everything that is within the pages of this book, everything that is associated with God. We can talk about vaccinations. We can talk about masks. We can talk about Democrats and Republicans, and, and we can talk about the president now and the president that was. We can talk about all of that, but that doesn't mean anything when it comes to standing before God. When it comes to that moment, when I stand before him, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where it's the most important. 
And each one of us, guess what? We're all going to stand before him. And how we live, how we is in, in all the things, our walk, our witness, and our worship, all these things that are being challenged in our lives right now, it makes a difference way, the way we live right now and how our outcome is going to be when we stand before him. When we go through the fire, when I go through the fire, I've been through, we've been through fires. We've been through trouble. You've been through trouble. You've been through ups and downs and all that bad stuff. But when you're where you need to be, he never promised, like the song said, he never promised that it would be easy. There wouldn't be a hill to climb. But he's always there. He'll be there for you. As your heads are bowed and eyes are closed this, this morning, I hope that you can see my heart. I hope that you can hear the heart of God. Know that what he has in store, what he has planned for you, he's not promising smooth roads, not promising no mountains or valleys, not promising anything like that. But what he is promising is that when you're there, he's there. If at any part in our life we can, in the troubled times, we can, we can walk close to him. We can be an effective witness for him and we can worship to him. In all earnesty and all of our heart will be okay. Where do you stand this morning? Where do you stand? Are you where you need to be? 2022 is right around the corner. To, to tomorrow, this afternoon, it, it's here. We're not promised another day. We're not promised another minute. No matter what happens within these next few hours. We've all known people or had been people in our own families, people we've known that have been completely healthy and driving home from work, being in a car accident, and their life is taken away. Sickness, heart attacks. All these things. They happen. But eternity happens too. Happens. Where are you at today? Where are you at in your walk? Where are you at in your witness? Where are you at in your worship? Say, Pastor, I'm not where I need to be today. not where I need to be. If you would say that this morning, as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, this, this, this next few moments are important. Nobody's going to be looking around. Those first steps are going to be hard, but nobody's looking. 
You say, Pastor, I'm not where I need to be, and I need to make that change today. You step out from where you're standing and come find a place of prayer this morning. If your heart's not where it needs to be, if you're watching at, online and you're at home and, and you may be thinking, man, I'm not where I need to be, you can make that change today. We can so easily put things in front of God and not think anything about it. But when that day comes, that'll be all we can think about. Messed up. Messed up. Anybody this morning, I'll meet you down here. I'll pray with you. I want to pray with you. Anybody. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Would you, would you be willing to raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not ready. I want to be ready, but I'm not ready to pray for me. You raise your hand. Anybody. You're at home and you're watching online. Send me a message. Go to our website. Our my my email address is on there. Send me an email. I want to pray with you. I want to pray with anyone that wants to make a change. Heavenly Father, I, I pray today for each one of us. God, that we know when we're going through the fire, we know that you are there. Beyond the shadow of a doubt, Lord, that's the only thing that we want security in knowing is knowing that you're with us. So, God, in order for that to be in place, Lord, I know that I need to be where I need to be in my walk, in my witness, and in my worship. If I can read the chapters, if I can understand the stories, these guys, and know that you delivered them and that you were right there in the middle, we know, God, that you're there with us. So, Heavenly Father, I just I pray that today that you would speak to each one of us, to feel your presence, to feel your glory in everything that we do we not take one day, one minute for granted. We start our days off with you, and we end each day with you on our mind and in our heart. Because we know that we go nowhere by accident. That wherever we go, God, you are sending us wherever we are, God, we know that you have placed us there. We have a purpose in the very situation that we are present in. Because of Christ who dwells in me, you have something to do through me. God, we believe this. We go in your grace, in your love, and in your power. You have chosen us to be the one. 